talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to More Like the Worst Wing, the show where here in 2023... We take a look back at Aaron Sorkin's seminal television classic, The West Wing, from a bit more left-wing socialist perspective. I am Stu. I am Dave, and this is our penultimate recording. I just yes, like to say is. the word penultimate. Penultimate. <laughs> at least for The West Wing. Uh, as we discuss the final, the, not not the final two episodes, but the final two before the final episode. Correct. Uh, uh, the, which uh, one is called Institutional Memory. And the one before it is called The Last Hurrah. Yes. Uh, and they're basically both sort of more transition episodes where we're, we're just dealing with the Santos administration incoming. But it's a lot more focused on the Bartlett administration outgoing, uh, I'll say, these two episodes compared to like the actual transition episode that was like called Transition, which like actually took place in the Santos camp, as it were. Yeah, um, a lot more of this is in the White House. These two yeah, and they've, they've got to do th- they've got to do this because they're winding down multiple characters they've spent six years developing. So exactly. Uh, so we get a lot of you know people are packing. You know, it's a lot of uh, CJ gets really uptight about like all this unnecessary work that must be done at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we'll get into that more in the second episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but as CJ breaks down and whatnot. Uh, the uh, the beginning uh, the first episode is actually uh, a lot about Arnie Vinnick is how we open uh, the first episode as he's like has to do the loser stink walk basically <laughs> of being of going from like one of two of America's most famous men to a guy who the Starbucks clerk gets the name wrong on his cup. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a pretty it's a pretty decent little vignette where the guy the worker asks for his name. And he just gives her a look and says, Arnie? Yeah, he's about to say Senator Vinnick on on impulse and then just goes, Arnie? Yeah, and she goes, all right, one for Ernie. (laughs) Yeah, coffee for Ernie. (laughs) It's great. So, yeah, they're like, the the campaign's over and, like, technically, he's still a sitting senator. Yeah, but he's on the way out. Like, he's on the way out. So, I mean, I guess, and we he's both kind of... He's got, kinda, like, a, a month left, roughly, before Yeah, the and we both kind of observed this, and it's just like, I mean, technically, there's this... Her, his assistant is, like, puttering around and kind of just not doing the make work or whatever. Right. And I get it, because I wouldn't either, but it's also like, you are still a member of the government here. Right. <laughs> like, like, they are technically governing... And whatnot, but like it, it, you know, it's basically that Vinick himself has nothing to do, as it yeah. were. Like you know, at one point Sheila checks the schedule and she's like, "You have a haircut tomorrow at 10. And he's like, "Great." Then what after that? No, that's it. Like that's it for the <laughs> like whole then, year. <laughs> then it's Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then then you go home, and then you're not a senator anymore. Yeah. Um, so Vinick is kind of going through this like I'm just going to call it denial phase, basically. Where he thinks he's just gonna like run again and like and and be the next presidential candidate for the GOP again, um, and and is just like throwing himself into like you know oh I gotta thank everyone on my donor list I gotta call the Republican governors and thank them and you know I gotta I gotta keep my name like you know alive in the party as it were like I gotta keep my juice going. This is basically a man who lost all his juice overnight 
and is trying to like get his juice back. Yeah, and it's a very um, for someone it's who the, it's sad, you know. Yeah, like, it's kind of there's a moment where the assistant's like, "Who's gonna tell him? Like, tell him what that the campaign's over." Like he's still looking through exit polls, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, how did I screw this up? It's like, like what are does, what are exit polls gonna do at this point, my brother? Does it Unless, really matter? No, but he's planning for the next election, actually, which is insane because yes, of course he's he's not the guy insane. anymore. He has massive loser stink on him, and he's like he's pulling up like, oh well, so and so, you know, got the nomination the second time, and it's like, yeah, fifty years ago, and he lost twice. Like, you know, he, he's he's just in full denial here where he just thinks he's like a big party player uh, and he doesn't realize he's like he's yesterday's news and the party's moved on to Ray Sullivan now, ironically, who he created. Well, and there are, so there there's a bit about and I yeah, so there's definitely a bit here that comes in where we kind of just smash over to the the Santos incoming administration and they're trying to figure out who to become vice president. <laughs> Yep. they're like we this like the republicans in the in congress will never allow us to have a vice president that you who want, will basically. run who will run and win in eight years is yeah, who will be the, the next, rationale the next democratic like, president what First of all, before we get into this, and we're going to get into this, I want to point out that this guy who brings this point up is like, uh, I forget the fucking character's name, it's like Bill or something, but he's like the DNC donor guy, you know, that we saw during the campaign who was always just like the money guy. I would like to point out that in a very neat little narrative thing, somehow the DNC money guy is now just like a chief uh, administration official who is like making big calls, you know what I'm saying? Like, how did that happen? Um, let's see. I don't. I don't know the name of the character. But you know what I mean. Like the big, the bigger. Guy oh no! I, with like I know the exactly. Your, dude, I know exactly what you're Churchill talking about. Winston looking motherfucker. <laughs> well, yeah, but and I'm I'm trying to make this make it clear that real TV heads will know him as Doctor Doctor Anspaugh from ER. He did uh, like he did like eight seasons of ER as the head of medicine at. He the was hospital. like George uh, George Clooney's boss. Yeah, he was, he was the guy who would basically do what he does in the West Wing. He just comes yeah. through. He comes through and, like, shits on ideas and, right. and, says, and, and delivers hard for, truths. For administrative practical reasons. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actor's name is John Aylward. He's a perfect kind of that guy because I hate him. I hate the character. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like he is just the money guy who is here to shit all over anything, even remotely sounding progressive or like that would be a good idea for the country in any way, shape or form. Yeah. He's constantly there to just tell Santos, no, you have to do it the centrist way, the bad way. Yeah. And in a way, so his, his technical position is that he's the head of the transition team. So this is what Josh got sort of iced out of. Ah, gotcha. And right. He was all upset that this guy was getting the job over him, even though, again, he was going to be chief of staff for the actual four to eight years yeah, of, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. of the administration. But oh, yeah. So he's head of transition team. Gotcha. Go ahead. Yeah. So and so therefore, like nominally in a in a real world situation that's exactly his job his job is to make them do the centristy things as much as possible because you know we just want to preserve the continuity of yeah of the fucking imperial hegemony here like this is it is crucial 
All the right fail sons and fail nephews get rewarded. Exactly. <laughs> it is crucial you do this this way. The like. grift machine keeps going the way it's been going. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So that guy, you know, plops in occasionally and shits all over stuff. And like, I, I think we we made this transition because they're they're try- fucking talking about picking a VP. Right. And it's like, who is other than this concern? Yeah, what I was going to say, what I was going to get into is he's right for the wrong reasons, basically. The Republicans will veto whoever they pick, but that's just because they're Republicans. They're going to veto (laughs) any choice for any reason that they want to make up. They they are spiteful. And it just so happens in this in this regard that spite aligns with their strategic choices. Right. So worrying about the reasons is stupid. Whereas Santos focuses on the practical things of like, okay, how many Republican votes do I need? Sure. And someone tells him like five. He's like, all right, do you think we could do that for for Baker? He wants Baker, by the way. He wants Ed O'Neill. Um, he he just kind of throws that out there as they're all like discussing VP. He's like, oh, by the way, I've already decided Baker. He's like. Were you going to, like, tell anyone? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, I know it's your decision, but you got to tell people about this. I do like that, though. Like, that feels very, like, human and real. Like, oh, by the way, I decided 15 minutes ago in my brain, but I hadn't actually communicated it to anyone. Well, so the the way that these two kind of through lines dovetail is that eventually Santos basically summons Arnie Vinnick Mm -hmm. to his office. To ask for advice about... uh, the Kazakhstan. Yeah, well, and, and then and VP and kind of other all these, stuff. Yeah. All these other things. And then once Arnold Vinnick agonizes over whether to take the meeting, agonizes over like trying to seem busy while he's taking the meeting. Yeah, you know, yes, to keep yeah, up yeah, appearances he makes the phone call with Sheila. It's, yeah, it's very comedic and it's played that way. And Alan Aldis does a good job and everything. Like a lot of this is just like the desperate fumbling of Artie Vidic to seem as important as he thinks he is, basically. Well, and so at the kind of tail end of the episode, it turns out that Matt Santos isn't just summoning him to be like, I want to ask you about Kazakhstan. He offers him the... Secretary of State position. Fucking, he offers him Secretary of State. He's, he's like, what? But I'm a Republican. And this is, <laughs> of course, the most West Wing thing ever to be like, yep. oh, it's so bipartisan. Guys, you it's know, a team are, of rivals. People are going to fucking love it. Uh, ironically, they're also sort of predicting the Obama and Hillary situation. If you if you plug Finnick in for Hillary, you know, yeah. where Obama offers Hillary Secretary of State. Even though that they ran against each other, granted, same party, not different party, but you know, very similar kind of situation. Well, and so this, this is a very convenient kind of like springboard for the writers to just keep the all oh, the good Republican shtick yeah. going over and over again because, and it's it sounds it's so forced coming out of Alan Alda after you have. A nice comedic turn, some subtlety in acting about how the thing, he walks into these meetings, and frankly, I think even in the next episode, you see more of it, walks into these meetings and you have people saying literally out loud, like, I will never support any Democratic undersecretary's decisions. Uh, I won't do the Democrat foreign policy, which again, let's be real here, there is no difference. Right, they actually say that in the episode. They keep saying over and over, oh, you and him agree on foreign policy. Like, they explicitly say that because there's just the one foreign policy. Yeah, there's is, only one. We are, it's, we're in charge, baby. 
Yeah, it's it's the Imperial hegemon here, and that's it. Like, sorry. There's not going to be an alternative foreign policy. Maybe if Ed Begley Jr., you know, in the fictional, yeah. if he had gotten president. <laughs> it's powered by my own sense of self-satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and, but... So you get it's like a it's like a double twist of this thing where it's just like you're giving away the game in mm-hmm. in plain English. In that, yeah, we're exactly the same. We're exactly not the only same. Is it, not only cool to bring him on, but you know he he says like I'm not gonna like do anything you want except you know rule the empire <laughs> yeah, really really do well it exactly that way. And, and then Santos <laughs> is like that's exactly what I want out of you. I want you to rule <laughs> yeah. the empire really really well. And it's just it's there's things it's like. All you dirty Democrats better not talk about raising taxes. It's like, Arnie, you're going to be the Secretary of State. You have an $800 billion defense budget to swing yeah. around. Like, Yeah, like, you're, the be- you're the beneficiary of it now, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, rein it in. You have the other impulse now. You should be arguing for increase in taxes. Like, no shit, dude. And so there's all this kind of, you know, this this back and forth with Arnold Vinnick being the suffering... Like, he's a great suffering. geopolitical mind for some reason, even though he, he doesn't really, you know, he basically just says, like, hey, that good cop, bad cop thing you and Bartlett are doing... That's smart. <laughs> like, be- like that's all a, a good Republican is in the West Wing universe. Basically, just someone who yes, yeses the liberals' plans. Yeah, who agrees with the liberals? Plans. Yeah, <laughs> who's a yes, who's a yes man to a liberal? That's the ideal thing a Republican can be in West Wing. So, and then it's basically like, hey, what are you going to do after you retire, Arnie? There's some things about like some real mask off stuff about like you should sit on seven corporate boards. They'll pay you a hundred thousand right. dollars a piece. Right, and he's like, he poo-poo's all this, and he's like, no, 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 I need to do, like, serious stuff, like guest lecturing in, in Ohio and Florida and Pennsylvania, because those are battleground states, because he's already thinking about the next campaign. Um, and yeah, it's great where, like, his money guy or whatever says to the other advisors once he's left the room, he's like, he's not going to be able to afford the Republican lifestyle he deserves. And I just read so much into the words <laughs> Republican lifestyle. Yeah. Oh, that life's yep. Yeah. Uh, He's not going of, to be able to afford servants. <laughs> yeah, the, the one of unimaginable luxury. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As we still see him like walking out of his DC, you know, glorious house. Yeah, to, no shit. You know, <laughs> like his the scene of him picking up the paper robe, on the on the know. porch. And getting side eye from the woman walking by, and he's just like, "Well, I'm just gonna go back into my mansion here." Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, by the way, I live in like what the best neighborhood in a great house, and I'm set for life, and I have wonderful, you know, children and grandchildren I can now spend my time with. But no, no, woe is me, I can't work anymore. <laughs> so here's the a nice transition actually to the other thing that we see a lot of in the first episode is the flip side of that is the santos family attempting to adjust to life as what will be the first family yes. in dc so yeah they're, they're initial... basically getting orientation as it were yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so uh, you get some cool, cool stuff with... we have not seen this yeah <laughs> yeah you get some cool stuff with secret service stuff we have ron butterfieldman back yay um yay and he's talking to the kids there's a scene He's doing like a Blue's Clues bits, basically, with the kids, where he's like, so if a stranger comes up to you and tells you to get a message to your daddy, do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Uh And the kids go, bad idea! (laughs) And he's like, you're right! (laughs) Where's Blue? (laughs) So, Uh, and 
Helen's Helen's initial idea why we are talking about this stuff. Helen's initial idea is that they're going to let the kids finish out the school year because obviously it's like November now or mm-hmm. December. It's January, I think, basically. Oh, really? After the holidays? Uh, I think so, because they really okay. imply that it's, like, really fucking cold in D.C. Oh. in the next hmm. episode and stuff like that. I, I, In my own location, it's, like, a week or two away from okay. January 20th. So, regardless, they're, like, Helen's being like, I'm going to do this for my kids, and the Secret yeah, Service... she wants and- to keep them in Texas, in the old house, in the old school. And, yeah, the Secret Service is going to build, like, a 21-foot fence around their property <laughs> and a fucking, like, guardhouse and whatever. And she's obviously correctly flipping out about this. And they just keep saying, like, well, it'll be the safest street in America. And she's like, yeah, whatever. I, like, you keep saying that. <laughs> well, yeah, they're basically, I like... I just want to be normal. Making the green zone in a Houston suburb here, like, it's just, it's crazy. And then when she says, like, oh, no, we're definitely keeping our kids, like, in school, Ron Butterfieldman gets a great deadpan moment where he's like, would you excuse me for a few moments, ma'am? And, like, <laughs> and walks walk- out of the room yeah. and he's like, we have to replan everything. <laughs> that fence is getting ten feet higher. Yeah, like, it's great. The the second, like, Butterfield second in, in line immediately is just like, well, we got to reconfigure the whole deal, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, now we need two guardhouses and the whole block's going to be fenced in. We're not we're not set up for the first family to be separate for more than, like, two weeks at a time for world trips and things like that. Which is true, and that's, like, fine. That's an operational concern. This is This is the whole point of transition, is it not? And having this time period is that you tell these guys ahead of time and they've got plenty of time to plan for this. Yeah, and I mean, come on. You have, again, you're the beneficiaries of an unlimited defense and right. administrative budget. Like, like none of this do will actually be a problem. But, you know, yeah. they, they, again, Helen and Matt are a lot more uh, normal, I guess, for lack of a better word, than like... Marty, uh, then, then sure. Jed and uh, Abby Bartlett, who were kind of already like New Hampshire royalty, basically. And, you know, how we're used to all this like doting upon, basically, or, or, you know, adopted to it a lot easier. Whereas this is supposed to be like our fish out of water thing. And mm-hmm. that works. And that's yeah. fine. But it's the only note they have for Helen. And they just like bang it <laughs> over and over and over uh, again and it just gets exhausting like she has to go meet with the staff and she's like oh my god it's a whole room full of people like uh, yeah helen we've done this like five times now do you not get the pattern yet <laughs> yeah like and you know they made that big deal with the remember the the the, the panties shot in the mm-hmm. paper back then it's mm-hmm. like if anything is going to tell you that your life is now completely yeah, off upside if you'll, and that was like before you yeah. won yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. now you're so, actually first lady like yeah but i get like i get it like it would be you know alien and fish out of water kind of jarring and but like get... it's just it's the only note they have to play for her other than other than the school searching stuff which is you know a nice little bit of like character bit of like them wanting a non-private school for their children because you know they want them to grow up a little bit normal yeah, okay, so you grab that, grab hold of that, and that is what the Helen storyline leads into, that being the compromise at the end. It's like, Jesus, everything is fucking nuts now, but 
you know, just lucky us. We toured the exact right public school here in Washington, D.C., home of notoriously awesome public schools. Like, yes, yes, uh, very. There's like a hint of trying to make that a political issue, but it feels like the show is like so done with politics at oh, this point, sure. other other than just set dressing, you know, other than just like, yes, obviously we're in D.C. and in the White House and like politics is all happening, but like in the background, you know, like we're worried about school choice and, and the catering and flowers and the Oval Office. Uh, like you said, oh my god, they fucking treat the Oval Office like it's, you know, hallowed fucking ground, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, where where Helen has to meet the uh, decorator, and and uh, Margaret says, oh, it's just in there, and points her through a door, and of course it's the door to the Oval Office. Yeah, we've seen this trick before, where it's like, oh no, just go through that door, yeah, wink, wink, nudge, where, nudge at camera. Where, yeah, where all the staff is like, wink, yeah, wink, wink, haha, we know what we're doing here. Where it's just normal to us, and that's what it should be. It's just an office, folks. Yeah, I mean, like, seriously, it's, like, it's just seriously. an office. Like, it really is, like you know. But yeah, Helen has to enter and do like the whole like mouth agape, like oh my god, I'm in like the Church of the Americas, as it were. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is the the real like the the royal seat of yes. you know the Imperial Empire. Here. I still think it's so funny that the president doesn't have a computer on the desk. Like, like that should have yeah. changed around 2002 or something like that. Yeah, and even if you're a generation behind it, it's just like we have played up Matt Santos as the young, you know, the young gun go-getter. Hip. Here. Yeah, yeah. He's with it. He knows the times. He knows what a website is. And he met with a blogger on the campaign, you know. Well, maybe that'll be part of the $200,000 renovation budget. Right, which, of course, is mentioned just so that Helen can, like, eyes agape at it. And, like, the caterer is like, by the way, uh, the caterer, the um, uh, decorator, decorator is, is like, oh, yes, what a pitifully small amount. You might want to raise a few million dollars. <laughs> you should start a foundation or something and maybe raise a few million. Just, mm. just to redecorate properly. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Like, I get it. It's all funny or whatever, but it's just yeah, the sure. same joke and it gets old very quickly <laughs> yeah it's it's very overwrought and uh, yeah and then i mean that's pretty much about there's a that's, line about the school thing it. yeah there's a line about the school thing that's obviously just fucking infuriating because it's uh, they, they're just like go for it in your notes you said how do you think janine got this gig and i assume oh. you mean janine garofalo the <laughs> yes, actress in real life and that's a great fucking question. I'd love to know. I've, if she was on one of those actual West Wing uh, podcasts uh, with like with Josh Molina. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I bet she told the story there. So may, maybe I'll hunt that down at some point because that's a good question. Because I don't know what she's worked with Sorkin on previously. Yeah, that's really... Because almost everyone has worked with Sorkin previously or worked with someone in the production line previously. Maybe she knew Tommy Schlamy or something like that. Yeah, I, I went to the wiki real quick for her. Um, appeared on the because that's wing. a great question. How did how did she get this? How did she manage to rock it until the series end? Like I know, like and of all people, it like, felt like she was just brought in to be like a two episode, like you know, guest star gimmick, you know, in and out kind of thing. But she became like a main recurring minor character. Maybe going from because she was in Larry Sanders, I remember, and that, but that was like okay. ten years before this gig. Yeah, I was and about then, to say, like, it's not like she's like a working actress. She was in like Dogma. Yeah. And, uh, 
That was that would be a know. little bit before West Wing, but this is like 2006. Dogma was like 99. So yeah. there's like a big gap there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good question is what I'm getting at. I don't know how Janine Garofalo got this gig. It's cool because we like her. Yeah, um, yeah she's good. Uh, even in just a background uh, or minor, minor-ish minor role. Yep. Um, that's it yeah. for this episode? I think that's about yeah. it. Let's take a so. break and we'll come back and discuss the second episode. Because she must dress in comfort for the job she must perform. She has so many faces. She wears so many names. She goes so many places and she does so many things. Cause she's a working girl. She's a working girl. She is single and free. She's a mother and a wife and she's proud to be. Welcome back. Uh, so our second episode, this is the one entitled Institutional Memory, is a big focus on CJ, right, really as a character, as she is dealing with the being in the outgoing administration and, and sort of dealing with the challenges of moving into the next phase of her life. Uh, in her own words, she is living the first line of her obituary. Which I think is uh, an interesting line. And also, this is a... So disclaimer, I watched this just, you know, to, to prep notes and stuff for this. And Emma had mentioned the other day that she was just like, oh, it's like one of my favorite episodes. And now she's low-key pissed at me for watching it without her because she sees a lot of herself in TJ, you know, obviously of as course. someone who grew up with sure. this show and is a professional woman. This is a chance for the keep sh- doning upon uh, the character is one of the well, well-written characters throughout yes. the show and this most is a, consistently. This yeah. is also a chance for the show absent Sorkin to do some really potentially good work with a female character. And to a degree, I believe that it succeeds because it Absolutely. very well encapsulates a lot of the, um, uh, like a lot of the fucking patriarchy that's going on. And they don't ever, uh, they don't ever explicitly say that, but the things that she has to worry about are all yes. expressions of that systemic issue that, as we saw in the episode prior, isn't a problem for outgoing Senator Arnold Vinnick. He has the world laid out before him. He's just like, well, you know, I don't know. And he's fighting against taking up that mantle, whereas CJ has to kind of fight to even be able to take up that mantle. Exactly. Exactly. That is a good way of putting it. And there's something I was complaining about before we started recording, which is that this episode basically sort of abandons all politics uh, and to focus mostly on the characters. And that's a bit of, of a double-edged sword, because on the one hand, the show is inherently supposed to be about politics and the political and sort of like the day-to-day governing, whereas this kind of takes a step back from all that, that to do more of a character study on CJ. But that's something that we never really get outside of a few rare moments on the show because the show is so usually mile-a-minute, kind of like pedal-to-the-metal not really digging in too deep on topics, but definitely like going through topics. Yeah. Whereas this is the first episode that really explicitly steps away from like topics with a capital T to just be like, hey, let's focus on CJ, the woman, dealing with this, you know, strange transition moment in her life. Uh, agreed. And I feel like in a 
2010s, you know, actual peak premium TV type situation, the writers could have taken the could have made a synthesis of capital T topics and character driven drama, interpersonal drama, career, whatever, whatever you want to call it mm-hmm, that's going mm-hmm. on here and utilize them to examine and discuss topics. But because it was too busy being coked up a gazillion miles an hour bants for four seasons, right. it didn't really, it didn't they, really, they can't do that to do that. That's yeah. a little too outside the scope of the show. I don't think they're willing to like slow down to that regard or, or think about it in that way. That's like too off formula. It's, it's like, them. Yeah, it's like reading a critical essay instead of a pop sci magazine mm-hmm. or something. Like it's it's mm-hmm. too it's too cerebral. I th- and frankly, for an American audience in two thousand five, like The West Wing was too cerebral. Like this iteration <laughs> yeah. of this was too cerebral. And I can't it, imagine. It's not that smart a show. Yeah, it's no, really not. It just has a lot of like big words, but like yeah. they're just distractions. They're just scenery. You know, they're just they're they're there to make you think the show's really really smart. And I guess it's a trick that works on the majority of the people, people who watch yes. it. <laughs> so, so the, the only well speaking done. of distractions, the only real political thing that's happening here, because again, we only oh, have one right. more episode after this, is they're talking about the budget. The outgoing the outgoing, <laughs> outgoing bar- budget. budget. That, is, <laughs> that is explicitly going to just be like filed straight in the trash because Santos will come up with his own budget, of course. But basically, and this is the same bit that they did with Kazakhstan. Uh, it all just boils down to like, no, we're going to play good cop, bad cop with the budget where where we're going to ask for like extravagant things like a, a 50 cent gas tax, which, by the way, that's what's painted as like the biggest, yeah. like, <laughs> hugest, most liberal ask ever, basically. Yeah. Is, and then, uh, the, and of course, in the most West Wing-esque move, Siege is like, no, 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 here's the thing. I put in a 50-cent gas tax so that one day when you, Matt Santos, have to do a 5-cent gas, gas tax, everyone will be like, oh, that's much more reasonable. <laughs> yeah. what, what a reasonable compromise. And there's this shit about calling for deficit reduction. In the butt, and it's just like, oh my fucking god! Like, and the the two the two economic goobers who she's like saddles with this task are just both looking at her like, are you fucking serious? Like over this budget that no one is gonna look at? Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, and we we have to go out there and figure out a way because she says like, I want fifty percent of the deficit reduced or something. some insane yeah. number, and yeah. they're both you, these guys' yeah. eyes are bugging out of their head. It's very funny. Yeah, it's great because like clearly, you know, they're, this is like the last thing they have to do and then they're done, you know, and she just dumped like another like God only knows how, how many hours worth of work onto them. Yeah, so and just again, just to sort of like play act as like, no, I'm still chief of staff. Like this is, feels very Vinick from the previous episode where she's just kind of like can't accept yes. that a, a, a new phase of her life is is about to happen here. So. The framing of the new phase in CJ's life takes place, and this is the old, this is an incredible trope for the West Wing. It takes place via a series of powerful men, because of course it does. You know, yes. you you can't you can't possibly get away from men and their power when you are nominally the second most powerful woman in the right. country. Here, you yeah, couldn't just. I guess- 
I guess it's very telling that CJ's sort of like big win is just like accepting a man's largesse, you know, and like this yeah. might this might be what ultimately is so off. So let's let's run through like the the situations yeah. that she's put so, in here. So yeah, as she's doing her chief of staff thing and she's assigning this work to this thing, all of a sudden everyone's making like a big to do, like oh oh someone big is in the in the White House, like someone fancy, someone really important, and they're like oh it's uh what's the fucking fake name like Frederick. It's like Frederick like Guston or something. I don't know. Who yeah. cares? <laughs> Whatever. He, he's meant to be a big tech mogul CEO type. Uh, a, a, sort of a Bill Gates, but he's much cooler than well, Bill of Gates. He like is Bill, because, Gates would, Bill, yeah. Bill Gates would not have an unbuttoned shirt. <laughs> like, <laughs> ever. You know what I mean? Like, this this guy, he's unbuttoned. You know, his hair looks nice. He's got, like, the, the cool stubble. Giant You know what watch. I mean? Like, like yeah. He's... He's got the Steve Jobs vibes, but not quite, because Steve Jobs would have, like, a turtleneck, you know? Like, it's... But he's got, like, the chill, cool... And as you said, it's very just, like, billionaire worshipy. Everything oh. that's going on with this guy. Where it's just, like, he's Bill Gates, but cool. All you the, know? All the staff like, is, not like... Not a nerd. All <laughs> the staff is out there being fangirling out. out. Yeah. yeah, like... Uh-huh. Will Will's fanboying out. Yeah, <laughs> Margaret's fangirling out. To be fair, Margaret fangirls out about everyone. Yeah. But, but still... <laughs> So his pitch to CJ is come work for me, take my mm-hmm. money and fix mm-hmm. the planet. Fix Africa explicitly. Oh, okay. Uh, that's yeah. what makes it Bill Gates. He explicitly says he wants to start a foundation. He mentions like maybe malaria. Like that's what like they very much were thinking about Bill Gates, but they they channeled a different vibe for the actual uh, guy. But yeah, he he's like Rather than just, like, take a ceremonial board position like everyone else is offering you and that you're bored of hearing about by now, I'm going to give you $10 billion in my foundation. You go to Africa and, and do what and do needs public to be health. fixed, which yeah. is, uh, ro- no, roads and then uh, plumbing okay. uh, are, like, the two things that they talk about. She, CJ's like, you know, they need, they need highways because, you know, none of the medicine or aid actually gets anywhere. <laughs> Well then, so uh, it, they need it, they need infrastructure. It, it and, gives like, CJ and, it gives CJ a chance to sort of explain to exposit her understanding yeah, of what's going on her, there. of of the geopolitical world stage, as it were. Yeah, yeah. to show off her her political bona fides well, in that <laughs> well, regard. And yeah, and he's like he's like, great, come come work for me. I'll give you ten billion dollars, and you can you know fix Africa. I'm I'm rich. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, meanwhile, I'm just rich, and I'm gonna do it. You know, I'll I'll be off making you know Windows Vista over here, cocking shit up in the background. Yeah, I'll be I'll be ensuring that every Windows release is worse than the one before it. I'll be red ringing the Xbox 360s. (laughs) (laughs) You go fix Africa, though. Well, and hey, I mean, according to the show, you know what Africa needs most is wristwatches because they can't tell time. They don't know when it's the morning or the evening, so they can't take pills. They need clock infrastructure yeah. for the highways. <laughs> $10 billion of clocks. Uh, yeah, so, the, and then uh, this call gets phrased through the lens, uh, viewed through the lens of Danny. So Danny, in a way, is sort of like our, our protagonist, our, our everyman for this episode, who is who sees CJ finally pulling away from this awful White House life of overwork and, and you know, and 
being so like concerned with everything about the world that they can't like slow down and like have lunch with yeah. their loved ones. There's there's a couple scenes where he's he's being like, I don't know, can we go to dinner sometime? She's like, Well, not this day, and then not this and day. She, and these are the slow days. Yeah, these yeah, are yeah. the senioritis days when she has nothing to do, and she's still saying that her day is packed. Like it's insane. It's it's like it really is feels like a workaholic like addict type scenario. Yeah, it's very. And so Danny is our hero trying to pull her away from this as, as finally her time is winding down and like she can finally move into something else, just something else. But Matt Santos comes along and is like, actually, CJ, I, as president elect, am going to put big pressure on you to come work with me for another two years uh, and potentially more is very much implied uh, and, and basically just be like, do the same thing, but not as chief of staff, as like special counselor to it, the president. It's really bad. And this this makes me pretty angry because like <laughs> he, he brings her in his office. Like she doesn't know why she's there. Like she's leave, mm-hmm. she's leaving the White House. She assumes but, she's going to be ceremoniously offered a ceremonial role and, and will ceremoniously turn it turn down. Turn it down. As yeah. a sort of like standard affair for this kind of scenario apparently so and then matt santos basically like there's a great low-key burn which is like well i'm gonna need help navigating a military incursion that you helped launch <laughs> that you started yeah like oh man like burn on cj out of nowhere like yeah he just he basically hardcore guilt strips her with that and with the co- and with like the country asks you to serve, you know, that whole spiel. Kind of like and bullying like, her, basically. As basically saying, like, I will not accept no for yeah. an answer. So you you think about it and you come back to me with yes. Like, those are his exact words. Yeah, it's it's bad. Uh, thankfully, Danny is our hero to help her talk through it and, and, gets this, and gets some great moments where, as you say, he tries to, like, pull her out for lunch. And she's like, you said it was important? And he's like, yeah, it's important that you, like, see the sun. And that we, like, be outside. <laughs> and, and eat a food. And, occasionally. and like, do do a human thing together, you know, once in a great while. And not just, like, have a 5 to 6 a.m. moment of, like, uh-oh, sit room needs me, bye. Yeah. <laughs> we then get Toby as another... <laughs> yeah, Toby comes in. Uh, Andy comes in out of nowhere to bring up the Toby issue to CJ. And then CJ goes to see Toby and just, I, I don't know. Again, good, I, it's a good character moment. And I'd say, uh, maybe I'm projecting here, but it feels like the Toby character is in like such a better place mentally. Like he's cooking, you know, he's wearing like a normal set of clothes. He doesn't look like the Toby who's like, you know, got his face buried in his in his hands all the time and is like ripping his own hair out that we normally see at the white house. Like he look, he's looking good. You know, it, it seems like he has now dehumanized himself and face to bloodshed. Like where it's a very <laughs> cynical sort of like, well, I'm fucking going to prison. So I'm going right. to, so he just kind of grumps around and I don't really understand why CJ needs to do this other than, yes, I know they're friends and whatever. There is something where she is now mad at Toby for not taking the plea deal or like not asking them to set up a pardon with the incoming administration for She's him. just really, I think she's just mad at Toby because he became like an issue to the administration. And like, you know, in her mind, like, Oh, if we weren't dealing with Toby, we could have like governed ten percent better. <laughs> yeah, you know sure. what I mean? <laughs> like, 
thing. Sure thing, CJ. That's definitely what would have happened. We totally would have passed like a 5% carbon emissions tax. Yeah. Or what have you. Yeah, means tested something. If we weren't dealing with Toby's dumb bullshit. So yeah, she's really mad. But like, you could just sort of treat it as like, she's she's upset because she's in this situation where... She is a workaholic and her work is being taken from her. She explicitly says to Danny, like, I know how to work. I don't know how to do, like, life. Like, just be normal. Like, all I've learned is how to be a worker. Like, this high-powered A-type, you know, a- executive worker. So, there is a, there's like five seconds of line from Toby where he says correctly the situation of, like, bouncing between or being torn in multiple directions by powerful men. And I'm sitting here going like, oh my God, he's going to... And then it's like, because you like want to fuck them or something? It's so fucking weird between Toby. I, I don't like, know. The, the interpersonal thing with the... the And he's he's being weird about guys. And then there's... It's just... Uh, they, they sort of have like a quiet, like understanding look between each other that's close to like an intimate exchange it's just it's very awkward very strange very strange for it to go to from fighting to like very intimate out of nowhere uh uh, yeah like why is toby in this episode i know because like he's a lingering thing and i'm sure the writers were just like oh shit like fuck we forgot about toby because like that's what it feels like it's just like oh oh shit oh we gotta wrap that up somehow and I think spoilers in the next episode, his sentence ends up getting commuted, but not pardoned or something like that. I'm pretty sure something like <laughs> right. that happens. But like, we could have actually just saved Toby for the final episode if you really wanted to do that. I think this should have been more CJ's story and it doesn't really interact with Toby's in any way. Not really. No. Not, uh, uh, but the writers have forced it to by, by having Andy come to CJ of all people. She could have come to anyone. I think honestly also it is they can't but because again it for some for some reason they can't but define CJ's conflicts and stuff in the framing of men like they they just have this male character and they're like oh yeah we could use him too like subconsciously so I, it's it's completely it's bonkers berserk like yeah. this this part so- with Toby I just don't get it the only decent part of this is the stuff with Danny, where da- Danny is the only man in her life to actually just sit her down and be like, hey, CJ, what do you want to do? <laughs> like, like, and that's all it takes is just like one decent. And like, that's why Danny's a good character. And it, it, like, to be fair, it's written well, it's acted well. I particularly like there's a nice bit of nonverbal thing where CJ's, you know, Secret Service team has to go in and like clear out a place before she's allowed to enter because she's chief of staff. And there's a nice bit where she appears at Danny's place and, and before they, uh, they wait until the Secret Service bit is done and there's just nice nonverbal acting between Timothy Busfield and, and Allison Janney. It's, well, good, good stuff. Yeah, so we... There, there's, to me, this is... There, there are two turns with this stuff. I agree that Danny is the kind of like the adult in all of this, which is fine because we like Danny and he's always been played as kind of like a roguish, 
like sympathetic character, which is great. Cool. That's consistent. He's much more normal and he's not in the DC bubble. He's outside <laughs> of it. He's he understands what it is to have like work life balance, not like these psychos. <laughs> like the the it's a it's a very just regular guy thing. I'm still I'm I'm chuckling because I'm thinking of the like the leer that he gives CJ at Leo's wake <laughs> in the, in the, in the prior Michael. episode. Where he's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> So you get all these hints that, like, yes, he's he's the good guy. Like, this is going to work out. Like, he's going to think. But when I, when we are talking through this, it's just like, oh, so, uh, gosh, like, CJ just needs to be saved by Danny. By a man. By yeah, a man. Yeah, no, I get it. It's very, it's very Disney of, like, all you need is a man, honey. You know, like, it's, it's very much that. Uh, again, explicitly, where she says, like, I know how to work, I don't know how to do life, and Danny's like, I am man, I will teach you to life. Yeah, and regardless of whether that is accurate, because it obviously is, and obviously can be, and within many interpersonal relationships, may be that way, and may invert stereotypical gender norms in that fashion. This visiting of it on the extremely West Wing, powerful male characters, lost woman, poor kind of like doe-eyed workaholic thing is it's just like, well, oh, okay, so great. Danny's going to save her instead of any of these rich men. Like, If you're familiar with Sorkin's oeuvre, as it were, <laughs> yeah, th- this is a note we've... And it's not even Sorkin doing it explicitly, not him personally, but, you know, his, his influence lingers, as it were. Uh, yeah. where this this is a very Sorkin-esque plot beat. And it's it's hard because, again, I am a cis white male, so I can't sit here, or, or if, I'm, if I'm talking with Emma about this stuff, it is not on me to say whether that is good or appropriate because I know nothing about what it's like to be a powerful woman in a male-dominated industry. I don't have that basis of understanding to look at this as either a um, aspirational piece of art for stuff like this, as a critique of stuff like this. So just to me, superficial, not superficially, but like from my understanding of it, watching this happen to CJ, who, as we said, is the best and most consistently well-written character in the whole series, is just kind of like, okay, like I am happy for you as a character who we are being told this works for you. Like, this is a net right. positive for you. Right. They, yeah, you, she's going a good place in her life, uh, basically, is the is the ultimate end, end of this episode. Yeah. Uh, and she's got Danny and, and all that good stuff. But, yeah, it, it, it's all over the place. It's a real mess. It's boring. It's a slog. Uh, Will wants to run in Oregon, apparently, to, oh, like... yeah. There's this, like... Republican congressman that they all like hate so much and apparently anyone could beat him but no one wants to run against him because he's oh he's had the seat for like 15 years and it's an excuse to give Will uh, post White House plans basically well and they don't they bring the guy that they're thinking about running in yeah and he's just a fucking wet noodle bait like yeah I I really enjoy how like every time we see like a one-off congress critter 
as it were. Like, they always give them just, like, a hint of personality. Like, you know, where they're not just, like, a dude. Like, like this guy, you know, as you said, emanates real, like, you know, wet noodle, like, loser energy. Like, oh, I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to if you get me elected. Great. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, uh-oh, that, that race, that sounds hard. I, I love the Democrats, oh. but I don't know if I can be the one who goes out and takes the L on this. So it's just like, oh, okay, fine, fine. Yeah, and then, so this is all just a setup to be like, Will, Will, you should do it. Yo, you will do it. And funny of, of all characters, Kate is the one who has this like epiphany <laughs> of like, yeah. no, you, you shall move to Oregon. He's like, I'm not moving to Oregon. She's like, well, good, because neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so that, and that there's that whole dynamic, too, where it's like, this is also mercifully Kate Harper is also a consistently and well, I guess, at least directed character to be like. This like this is my fucking jam. I might I might be more interpersonally skilled or have a little bit more room in my life for you know my my personal life, my work life balance and stuff. But like this is this is my choice to I'm gonna be in Washington D.C. in the blob doing yeah foreign yeah, policy. Yeah, she stuff. doesn't she doesn't get to be the new NSA uh, director. Uh, they give it to someone older with more experience. Um, but yeah, she's hanging around to see if she'll get offered something by like the Santos administration uh, and remain part of the blob. But yeah, she's like, yeah, Will, yeah, absolutely. You go to Oregon. Me? No, I'm totally staying here. But you, you should totally run, man. That sounds great. <laughs> oh, and I, there's a, a little bit of a heartbreaking line where he's, I think he says, and I'll, I'll find the clip if I have to, but it's like he says, just like, and then there's us, and she says, "What? What about us? Just like completely deadpan or something similar." It's like we aren't anything. <laughs> yeah. Like oh, like, oh. Oof. Oof. Or, earlier in the episode, like uh, at the beginning, he was like, uh, "I, you know, I, he's like, I'm looking forward to exploring where this thing goes." And she was like, "Yeah, me too." And it's like instantly that's just <laughs> no, gone. <laughs> no, no, no more of that. It's like, oh wait, you're moving to fucking Oregon? Pass. <laughs> <laughs> Or it's also like she figures it out in real time that he needs to be the one to do it. Yeah, and you can this see is what also I mean by like the epiphany moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 her eyes light up and like, oh my god, I'm gonna solve my boyfriend problem. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll move him across the country. It's great. Wonderful. <laughs> so good for you, Kate. Way to go. Yeah, you you're free of of the nerd who wanted to watch the debate on your first date. Get him I, out I of here. I still think she's mad. I still think she's mad about that. <laughs> take yeah, take, take his, his coat. coat. <laughs> yeah, that he doesn't have. They're, they keep trying to act like it's so fucking cold out, but we can't even see their breath or anything. So clearly they film this when it's not actually cold. Oh man, I'm so Trump brained every time I hear the word coat. <laughs> take his coat. <laughs> take their coats. Oh. Uh, uh, so I think that's but it. But yeah, that mostly does it. I just want to bring up the Will subplot, but it's mostly about the CJ stuff uh, and the Toby bit that comes in at the end. And and yeah, uh, both these episodes, no, no, no bueno, folks, but we're almost at the end. The if, light's at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> if you want to watch the this one for the CJ and Danny bit, it sure. is heartwarming. It is fun to, sure. to do that, but it's well, a very... Well-acted... Yes, but at this point, it's it's just character drama. Like we're so far away from like West Wing, the show about politics happening. You know what I mean? And it's a very 
and and that's the double-edged sword of it. Oh, sure. And it's also it's also a very um, like '90s, early aughts framing, generally of that sort of adult, quote unquote, relationship drama. It is. It it just seems Am I a little, a little work weird. And have a boyfriend. How can yeah. CJ have it all? <laughs> I know. I'm gonna make it after <laughs> yeah. all. Somebody bring me some ham. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I think that wraps up this particular episode of The Worst Wing. Uh, thanks as always for listening. Uh, if you want, you could always email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. It's always nice. And we will be back. The next time we record, to record da, 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 the finale. The finale. Of West Wing, seven seasons in the making. Here it is, the final episode entitled Tomorrow. And we will be here to break it down from our unique perspective. Uh, but until then, thanks as always for listening. Uh, stay safe out there, and bye bye. Bye bye. But don't ask me to come on along